The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. Today is Mission Sunday, or Mexico Missions Sunday, and we did want to give a report of what God did through the missions team, and first wanted to thank uh, the GBF Church family for your prayers. Uh, and I mean that very specifically and sincerely because God answered prayer. He did very specifically. Um, this trip, this five-day trip to Mexico was one answered prayer or one gracious deed after another uh, as God, I believe, was overseeing the entire trip. It was absolutely amazing. Our church has been around for six years, Grace Bible Fellowship, as we started with about 20 folks and have grown as God has been good to us. And as a church plant, there are things that are significant that happen for the first time. And this is the first time that our church, GBF, has been able to participate formally in a short-term missions trip. So uh, that was kind of the highlight, and we didn't know what was going to happen, and we were looking forward to what God was going to do. And uh, it was absolutely fantastic, and God did uh, much more than I thought he would do, and just things went better than I totally expected, and there were some great exciting things that he did that you're going to hear about in just a moment from our team. So just wanted to thank you for your prayers. God blessed, and it was very significant uh, for the folks that we were able to go and help and minister to and also to the individuals on our team. So I'm going to share a synopsis in just a second with some pictures. But first I want to open it with this uh, portion of Scripture that we might be reminded <coughs> excuse me, of the unique thing of that the gospel can contribute to a situation. And our, what I mean by that is one of our main objectives was to go to the middle of Mexico near Guadalajara and help minister, teach boys in a, an orphanage. turns out about 26 boys ages 6 to 17 and to help them. And orphanages are not unique to the church <clears throat> or to Christianity. <clears throat> Pardon me. I'll get this frog out of my throat. There are orphanages all over the world. And orphanages are started by other people and organizations other than just Christians and churches. For example, Oprah Winfrey has uh, homes around and homes and schools that she has started around the world in impoverished nations and areas where she's trying to help, uh, in particular, children and young people, whether it's uh, girls or boys. So that would be just one example um, and typically the emphasis there is on meeting their physical needs, whether it's uh, fresh water, uh, clothing, building, uh, addressing their immediate physical needs. That's pretty much the emphasis, usually a humanitarian kind of emphasis. There's nothing bad about that. But I'm just saying that is typical. And what was unique about our trip, what we were able to do is go and help this orphanage in Guadalajara. It's called Hope House, by the way, this house that uh, two uh, Christian folks, they bought a home there in Guadalajara and turned it into an orphanage for the purpose of trying to help uh, boys there in Mexico with a very specific need. And their goal wasn't just to meet their physical needs and to give them a home to live in and a reprieve away from maybe an abusive home or taking them off the street. That was part of their desire, but that wasn't their only desire. And that wasn't even their main desire. Their main desire was to give them something more. It's meet all their physical needs to whatever degree that they can, but also, most importantly, reach and meet the, the spiritual needs that these boys had as human beings made in the image of God. And that was our point of emphasis, our team. And so when we got there, we found out that, you know, not a, this orphanage has been around about four years. Uh, they had a year where nobody came, no churches or organizations, and they're relatively new. And then recently they've had seven different teams go, and even while we were there, there was another team there, nice folks uh, from Kentucky, who were providing some material needs and things for the boys, but they were not interacting with the boys while they were there. Uh, and they were from a Christian church, but they were doing some stuff around the campus. And that was pretty typical, where a team would go in and help the facility and help build something at the house, uh, which is great because those boys need it, and it's a blessing to them. The unique thing that I saw that our team was able to do, uh, we didn't come really with a whole lot of physical uh, things we could do around the compound or the house to build it and hammer nails, uh, but we had a spiritual emphasis as we wanted to bring in the gospel of Jesus Christ, biblical truth, share it with the boys, share it on a very intimate level, 
uh, planting seeds and watering seeds with the hope that God would bless that and change souls and lives for eternity. And I think we succeeded in doing that. At least God allowed us that open door. And so that's the point of emphasis here in Acts chapter 3, 1 and following, where the Apostle Paul, I mean, uh, the Apostle Peter and the Apostle John, after Jesus ascended into heaven and had departed the church, just started the churches brand new in Jerusalem. The apostles begin to do their ministry and their mission. The apostles are poor. They don't have a whole lot of this world's goods, uh, but they do have something more valuable than what the world has to offer. They have something more valuable than money, silver, gold. It is God's truth, and in particular, it is the truth of the gospel about Jesus Christ. So let me read this. As here they are in Jerusalem. Now Peter, the apostle, and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. So here's a man who couldn't walk, uh, who knows how old he is, but he hasn't been able to walk since he was born. He's been lame since birth. And he got into the habit and the routine uh, in being laid in front of the temple where he might beg as people were going by asking for alms, asking for money. And he did. He had a physical need. He couldn't work, or at least he couldn't walk around. He was lame. And so he's begging for money that people might meet his material needs. So he had a true need, which was physical, but he also had uh, other needs as well, spiritual needs in particular. Verse 3, when uh, he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. So he was pleading with them, begging from them, uh, give me money, give me alms, meet my material needs if you can, please. Verse 4, but Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze upon him and said, look at us, give me your attention. Verse 5, and he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them, something as in money, coins, denarius, whatever. But verse 6, Peter said, I don't have silver and gold. I don't, I don't have any money. I can't give you material goods, which is a need. It's a legitimate need, but it's not the greatest need. And that was what I was reminding our team of. We are going to Mexico to these boys to offer them something more valuable than money and material things. We are going to give them the truth of Jesus Christ that is more valuable than anything else in the world. Absolutely precious. And that's the first thing that Peter is thinking of to offer. Verse 6, uh, Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. So I wanted to stop there. In the name of Jesus Christ and all that goes with that. Just so happens Peter was an apostle and John was an apostle. And as apostles, they did have the supernatural ability to do miracles at times, to validate their ministry and call as apostles. But they did it in the name of Jesus Christ, the person of Christ, the gospel of Christ, the reality of Christ's perfect life, His substitutionary death, His resurrection, His ascension on high, the fact that He reigns as King of kings over the world and every human soul. That is the name I speak to you on behalf of. I can't give you money, but I can tell you about Jesus Christ. And he throws in, an extra unbelievable supernatural blessing. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene walk. And Peter, as an apostle, was able to do a miracle through the power of the Holy Spirit for this man. Verse 7, and seizing him by the right hand, Peter raised him up and immediately this lame man, his feet and his ankles were strengthened for the first time in his life. Verse 8, he leapt up, he stood upright, and he began to walk probably for the first time in his life. And he entered the temple with Peter and John Walking and leaping and, get this, praising God. He made the connection. He knew this gift I just received came from God, not just God, but the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. So I I just wanted to emphasize to our team, and I did while we were there, and it sunk in, and they understood this truth. We're going not with money and silver and material things really to offer the boys, although we brought some gifts that we gave them. We blessed them with some sporting goods, but that was secondary. That stuff, it rusts and fades away. The most powerful, the most precious, the most valuable, everlasting blessing we were able to give them was biblical truth. And it was a great privilege to do so. So just want to give you a quick overview of our ministry, and then we're going to have some folks come up and just share brief vignettes of uh, how God blessed them while they were there. So uh, we were preparing for this mission trip at least four months hands-on, but even longer than that, and praying 
about it. You were praying with us. We were doing fundraising. Uh, this church responded graciously. We, we met all of our financial needs before the trip even started. So thank you so much for contributing in that way. Uh, there were 10 members on our team that actually went to Mexico. Technically, we had 11 members. Uh, so just about all the members you're going to hear from in just a moment in their green shirts. What's with the uh, verde shirt? Oh, that's pretty good, huh? Green, it means verde. I learned some Spanish. While I, I reinforced some Spanish while I was over there. Um, so the green shirt was a gift from our host family over there. Uh, Kina and Rodney are from Michigan originally. They're probably about my age. They have, I think, three children. No, we make that four. Four daughters. And they bought this house. They had a heart for orphans and Mexico. And they've been there 11 plus years. And when we got there, they hosted us, introduced us, gave us the overview, talked about their ministry. They're great believers, wonderful Christians. Uh, and this shirt says Hope House, and that is the name of the house that they named the facility to give these boys off the street and also from abused homes hope. And it's hope in Jesus Christ where there is really the only hope, isn't it? In the gospel of Jesus Christ. So our team, we're wearing our green Hope House shirts today uh, as a reminder of being blessed from the trip. So there were 10, uh, 11 of us, 10 that went. Brad Berman is not here today because he came back and got right back on a plane to go back for another week's mission in Ghana, Africa, in a very similar ministry. And pray for Brad as he'll be back in about a week, Lord willing. And so uh, 10 on the team went. We departed from the San Jose airport, flew four hours, uh, 1,650 miles to Guadalajara, to Mexico. I had a really decent flight there and back with no logistical problems whatsoever. So we were praising God for that. Uh, then we, uh, that's when we arrived, we were immediately escorted to, uh, at one point, to Hope House to actually meet the boys, uh, to meet uh, Kina and Rodney who oversee the house and the ministry, get the big picture from them. Um, Hope House, like I said, is owned by uh, Kina and Rodney. They want to accommodate more and more boys. Right now they have about 27. Uh, the unique thing about, and this is what I kind of learned and was reinforced over there, was in Mexico, which is a huge country in terms of population. Hope House is unique as an orphanage because typically in any orphanage, once boys in particular reach age, age 10 or 11, they are put at, back out on the street because orphanage, do, they don't want to deal with 11-year-olds and seven, up through 17-year-old boys. It's too hard. It is too difficult. They are too unmanageable. And that broke Rodney's heart when he was out there working at a orphanage earlier before he started Hope House. And it, it broke his heart that 11 and 12 year old boys were being put back out on the street. So that's, he decided, you know what, God, I'm going to start my own orphanage. And I don't care what the rule is or the precedent or what protocol is here in Mexico. I want an orphanage that will be able to house 11 through 17 year old boys. So that made it unique. I, I don't, that may be the only orphanage in Mexico, at least that I'm aware of, that is willing to keep 11 through 17-year-old boys. The other unique thing about it is Rodney and those who help him have a very deliberate approach in terms of their emphasis in the orphanage. It is to expose them to the gospel of Jesus Christ and even raise them in the gospel of Jesus Christ very deliberately and systematically. And we saw that while we were there. It was amazing. And these are boys who either know nothing about God in the Bible or who, who have been uh, steeped in almost an occultic, very mystical, uh, animistic Roman Catholicism that is very different than the Roman Catholicism here in America. So that is their mission. It's very unique, and it was a privilege to be a part of that. The home itself, day-to-day, -day, is overseen by a pastor. He's a pastor for 24 years and then apparently retired, and with his mission became to take care of these boys. And he has a wife, and he has two grown children that are in college, and his name is Pastor Jorge. And we got to meet him, and he is literally with these boys 24-7 except when he gets a break. And I got tired just watching Pastor Jorge the, the five days that we were there. It's amazing. And as a team, we were praying for Jorge. Um, so we need to keep him in prayer. And just a, a wonderful man of God who's committed to these boys. These boys, they've got a lot of unique problems. Uh, we used sports camp to teach the gospel. Just Basically, it was what we do at GBF, the evangelistic sports camp. We take five days here. We did it in three days. But we still have the five sessions. We teach a sport, and then we break up. And during snack time, we have a Bible lesson to the whole group. And then we break up into small groups. 
to really reinforce the Bible lesson and to interact with the boys and ask them, what do you believe about what you just heard? That God is creator. Do you believe that? Or that every human being was made in God's image? Or that sin messed everything up? What do you believe about that? And so this was a wonderful time. And so we were able to break up into four small groups. And we, so we had about four or five boys each. We kept the same boys all five sessions. So we got to know the boys better. And they opened up. And I had the youngest boys. I had five of them. Six through eight years old. And they all had ADDHD and a half. Or ADHD and a half. On steroids. I am not kidding. These guys, they had so much energy. And so we're sitting down in a small group and I am literally in pages in my small group helping me grabbing these boys by the ankle, holding this one down and this one by the arm and then pages grabbing the other one, just trying to get them to sit down, wondering, are they even listening and paying attention? And we had a translator helping us and it turns out they were listening. They're, they're multitaskers. They can uh, look over there and pull on my whistle and, and suck on uh, my glasses and pull on my sock and listen all at the same time. It was amazing. But so it got very attached to these boys in a very short period of time. Um, so that was our small group time. Um, and by the third session, we talk about the reality of sin. Yes, God is the creator. Yes, God made every human in his image. Yes, God is a loving God, but sin messed everything up. And the Bible says every single one of us is a sinner. And we were born as sinners, born separated from God. Then we go into the small group and see, do you understand that? And then do you believe that? And then what are the implications of that? You need a savior. That's what we did in small group. So on that third session, I went around to each boy and my, through my translator, I pointed to each six, seven, and eight-year-old. Are you a sinner? See, 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 are you a sinner? No. Whoa. And every, all, the rest of them are like, ay, ay, ay. <laughs> he's like seven years old, Tonito. They, they live with this guy. They know he's lying. So we spent about, tw- me and my interpreter, we spent about 20 minutes hammering on Tonito. Yeah, you are a sinner, you little liar. He, he would not budge. He was about this tall, cute as a button, missing his teeth. He was a fireball. He wanted to take over camp, basically. But two sessions later, by session five, same thing. Uh, and we went through the gospel, and Jesus is coming again. We talked about heaven and hell. And if you died today, where would you go? And we went around in the circle. Are you a sinner? See, are you a sinner? See, are you a sinner? See, and we got to Tonito. Are you a sinner? And he said, oh, so, so. I was like, victory! We're getting there. The Spirit of God is making. The Spirit of God is convicting. That was just kind of one of the highlights for me. Um, so those were the five sessions. Uh, session, yeah, I went over those. Uh, then I don't know if there's a picture of me teaching. So I did most of the main teaching. Although Robert Sansoy taught one of them. Robert uh, speaks fluent Spanish, so he was wonderful to have there. Is Maria Magana and Robert. We could not have done what we did without those two. God has blessed us with two. Uh, incredible saints who were able to talk with the boys and be our interpreters, both in the large group lesson and in the small group. So Robert taught one of the lessons. I taught four of them. Uh, We wrapped up our time at the end uh, on the fifth day by a debriefing time we had about the missions trip with Walt Heine, who was one of our founding members of Grace Bible Fellowship six years ago. He was kind of the senior saint among us at the time. Uh, an incredible man of God, him and his wife, Nancy, just a wonderful couple. But they hosted us, had us come over and uh, gave us some great food and cheeseburgers. And but we also and Walt led us in a time of debriefing about the trip. What were the highs? What were the lows? What did God do? What were you frustrated by? What we can do better next time? And he was in pastoral mode and encouraging mode. And then we had a time of prayer. So uh, we just praise God for the Heinas. Uh, just a couple more highlights that I had uh, answered prayer. God answered so many prayers. Uh, the great travel, the perfect weather. It wasn't too hot. We were wondering about that. And then we had this uh, rainstorm and it stopped just in time so we could continue on with our sports. Uh, the facilities were wonderful to uh, do the sport, sporting events on at a local park. Um, we had good health and safety. I wrote this like three days ago. Great health and safety. And then like three days later, all of us got diarrhea retroactive but at least it didn't happen while we were there so we were able to continue on in the ministry i guess that's an answer to prayer good health and safety uh but we did have physical safety there we're in the heart of mexico it's not guadal uh 
Tijuana. So there aren't all these drug cartel on every corner like the media would have you believe. This was a very safe, even though it was dilapidated and worn down and it looked like Mexico, very safe neighborhood. We're out at late hours, walking around. The people are friendly. Buenos dias. Everybody's saying hi, uh, intrigued by having uh, Americans there. So we, we never felt threatened at all the entire time we were there. Uh, another major highlight and answer prayer was the team unity we had. The ten of us in tight quarters for five days, 24-7. If you've ever been affiliated with short-term missions trips, it is not uncommon for these Christians who go on missions trips to fight and not get along and have a blowout during the trip. That is very typical. That did not happen with this team. There was unity, perfect harmony, and I didn't hear one cross negative word the entire time I was there. It was amazing. So I was just thanking God for our team unity. Just, uh, we all got along wonderfully. Uh, the boys were teachable. Um, the Hope House staff was hospitable. These are all answered prayers. And the gospel went out thoroughly and completely. We had two of our own translators, and then they also afforded us uh, three or four wonderful translators as well. So the boys knew exactly what we were talking about. They comprehended it. They understood. So the Word of God went out, and now the Spirit of God continues to do His work on their hearts. So we praise Him for that. Uh, one thing that I kept, I would every once in a while say, stop, missionary moment, somebody get a camera, and then boom, we take a picture. It's like things that could happen on the mission field that don't necessarily happen at home. Whether it was uh, all of us sleeping on the floors, or another missionary moment was the house that we were in, and water is scarce, especially hot water and clean water. All ten of us, had, we had like 3 minutes and 59 seconds to take a shower. And we only had one shower. We were timing each other. And there was literally a stopwatch. Hey, you went out 4, 400, four minutes and 2 seconds. And so that was like a missionary moment. Every time we had a shower, uh, 4 minutes or less. Uh, another missionary moment. Apparently you can't find a basketball net in Mexico. I didn't know that until I got over there. So you got these basketball rims and no nets. You can't shoot at a basketball hoop without a net. It's like a hot dog uh, without the hot dog eating only the bun. So, uh, like four of us, we went to Walmart, and they had a Walmart that was kind of like a Walmart, and we bought some rope, and we just spent, I think, three or four hours making two basketball nets, and we put them up, and bam, that was our missionary moment. Missionary moment, somebody get a picture, and we were up to like 1.30 in the morning, and Brad Berman was, and Robert Samsoy were uh, leading the pack. That was just one example. Another missionary moment was when uh, we had to fasten the hockey goals on top of the roof, and they... To make sure that they stayed, we needed rope or something. We didn't have any. So Timmy, I made Timmy give me his shoestring out of his shoe. Uh, there he is. Missionary moment. Boom. Sacrifice. And then we gave it to Brad. And Brad climbed up. on. He Risking his life, he climbed up on top of the van to fasten uh, the goals down. Missionary moment. Brad could die. Let's take a picture. So everybody knows how he died. So those are my highlights. And I could go on. Uh, much, much more. Oh, one more. At the end of the five sessions, I asked all my boys in my small group, so did anybody have fun? Si, si, muy. Um, that means yes, a lot. Okay, everybody go around and tell me your favorite thing of our camp. Went around and uh, somebody said the games. Uh, two of them said hockey. Somebody else said basketball. Then somebody else said frisbee. And then I said, and it was my turn. You know what my favorite thing about this camp was? And they were all guessing. Uh, basketball, hockey, the snacks. And I just kept saying, nope, 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 nope. And I'm holding on to Andreas, who's eight years old and can't sit still. I'm holding on to his leg, literally, over here, as he's pulling on my whistle and my ear and my hat. And I've got uh, Tonito as well by the hand, trying to keep him down. And they're giving answers about what they thought my favorite thing was. And I said no to all of them. And then finally I said, my favorite thing was getting to know you boys. And they just, whoosh, blank faces, silent, in shock. And then Andreas, he, he was sitting right next to me. He put his hand on my cheek and started rubbing it. It's like, how sweet is that? So anyway, highlights. So right now we're going to have our team share. So Tim, why don't you come up first and uh, share a highlight. I asked each member to just share a short vignette of a highlight for them. So Tim belongs to me. Um, <laughs> he's my son, and this was a, a unique opportunity. I had never been on a short-term missions trip before, so I didn't know what to expect from this one, but I was excited to go. 
Before going, I prayed that God would allow me to be a good example to the boys. And the highlight for me was getting to know the 26 boys of the Hope House. Even though they are orphans, and most of them had been abused, and they all have very little, they had a lot of joy, more than I expected. They loved having us there, and I enjoyed teaching them in the sports camp. And I thank God that he let me go on this trip. Amen. Thanks, Tim. Nathan. You just hand it to the next person. Okay, so uh, my name's Nathan. I'm 16. And uh, when we arrived in Mexico, my expectations for the environment and how you know, people would react to us, you know, I was like hearing the news, you know, about you know, 30-something people Nathan. getting killed. Nathan. And, uh, you know, I thought I'd see, like, a bunch of gangsters in AK-47s, whatever. But, um, you know, when you get there, you're like, there's nothing, like, that big of a deal. I mean, you know, yes, there's poverty and um, stuff, but the people are really nice. And, you know, they you know they say hi, like Pastor Cliff was saying. And to me, it was a lot less scary uh, than Oakland, you know. <laughs> 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 um, so, like, towards the last day, we uh, went to Walt and Nancy's house, and um, the saddest moment was when he was describing how um, some of the boys were abused, and um, specifically Louise, because um, we noticed that he had a hearing aid, and supposedly his father um, physically abused him until he lost about 75% um, percent of his hearing. Um, the highlights for um, me on this mission trip would be um, enabling God enabling us to give the joy and happiness to the kids there, you know, since they don't have much, you know. And like Pastor Cliff said, that there's missions trip people that go down there, but they don't necessarily spend time with the boys. Um, so it felt really good to, you know, um, see them smile and enjoy the moment, you know. Um, and another highlight was in our small groups with um, me, Maria, and Josh. When we asked them, you know, what do you want us to pray about, um, pray for you for, you know, some of them said um, to be the greatest soccer player ever, um, to be the greatest basketball player ever. But the last one that uh, really touched me was we prayed that we could stay stay longer. Um, so that was pretty much my highlights. Uh, hi, uh, my name is Paige Douglas, or as the boys down there called me, Pajina, which means a piece of paper in Spanish. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was really cute. Um, I would first like to thank you. Without the support of each and every per person and all the prayers from this church, um, this mission trip would have happened, and it means so much to me that we got so much support. Um, so I'd really like to thank you, all of you. I really appreciate it. Um, this was my first missions trip as well, short term, even, you know, it was my first missions trip ever. And I learned <laughs> so much. I came, um, well, I was here in America, one person, and I left one person, and I returned a completely different person. And I truly think it's just impossible to go to an orphanage and, visit and be with the boys and return the same person. Um, when I looked at each of those 27 boys and past their smiles and their happy spirits and their great attitudes, um, my eyes were opened to a world that I didn't know. Um, horrific, horrific lives of abuse and abandonment <laughs> and agony. It had scarred each one of them. It was so hard to look at them and times where the boys, they'd be having fun. There might be a moment when one of them would zone out, and you could tell they were thinking about what happened to them how many years ago. It was so hard to see that and try to distract them and make them happy and play basketball. <laughs> and when I looked at where the orphan boys were living, my eyes were open to another foreign world. 
cobbled streets and really bad sewage systems that smelled, um, tainted faucet water and a lack of modern technology, all these things I had taken for advantage and for granted for, for years. By the end of our first full day, the 11 of us had been moved by the circumstances, and I personally had become really discouraged uh, just because of seeing the situations that these precious boys were in. And in the morning of our second day, we all woke up early, and all 11 of us sat down and pastor, and we all just spoke, and we really put into focus what the purpose was for our trip. And we realized that God had not sent us to undo what he had done there to undo their lives, to make it all go away in a race. He didn't send us there only to teach them some sports or only to give them temporary worldly gifts that would eventually fade away over time. Um, God brought us there to preach the good news. And that was the reason why he brought us there and the only reason. He showed us what was important, which was the souls of these boys and where their souls would go in their eternity future. And I got to... You know, I got to see the boys drink in the words during devotional time. They were so excited. And I got to hear them talk about their knowledge of the one true Savior. And some willingly spoke about how they had become to know Christ throughout their broken lives. I enjoyed coaching the boys and attempting to speak to them in my broken Spanish. Um, I will never forget little Ricardo coming up to me every day and talking to me, even though I couldn't understand a word of his Spanish. (laughs) Loved it. I love the faces and the smiles upon Luis, uh, Miguel, Juan, and all the boys' faces when we taught them a game during lunch. And there are so many stories I would like to share with you, and I would love to share with you one-on-one if you would like to know them. But, you know, I wish I could tell them all right now, but (laughs) we have limited time, so... I was just, I was pleased to look at their faces to see the toys and the equipment that we brought for them to play with. Um, But nothing was more incredible, more life-changing than seeing the boys happy to have the opportunity to hear the gospel. God put some things in perspective for me. He let me see firsthand the value of his word over any worldly possession. I got to see the Lord's hand at work in a world that was completely alien to me. And I left America as one person, but I returned from Mexico as another. So thank you all. Um, I think that the trip was truly life-changing. I thought that it was amazing how happy and content that these boys were, considering how little they had and what they've all been through. It really makes a person realize how much God has given us and how appreciative we should be for the things that we have. My favorite part about the trip was just hanging out with the boys during and before lunch. I talked with this one boy named Pedro And we just talked and had a conversation. And it was nice just getting to know him and all the other boys. It was great to be able to go to Mexico and befriend the kids and share the gospel with them. Thank you. That's Daniel Magana, by the way. Uh, Daniel will be a senior next year at Homestead High School. I, and I did want to make a word uh, as Josh, you're, come on up while I'm talking. Uh, so we had the Magana family, so Daniel, uh, Father Josh, and Maria. But we had four teenagers go, uh, Daniel, Nathan, Paige, and Timothy. And the teenagers, they were awesome. Awesome workers, servants. Did I hear them complain? Not really. They were just there to work, and uh, so I was truly blessed by their role as well. And now Josh. Um, first of all, uh, there's three things that um, that I say is, well, first, before I go in, it, it was wonderful going down there. And as Paige said, it is a 
life-changing experience. You do not come back the same person. You, you have an empathy and a love for these boys. Uh, you have compassion for Jorge, who has devoted his life. You, you see nothing but sacrifice and, and devotion into these um, people. Into, and um, we didn't patronize them. We didn't go and just oh sad little boys. We we really we were there to to put the word and, and share with them and, and they shared as much back with us and, and put as much in us as we put into them. And uh, it was an experience that I truly wish the Lord is able to to give me and, and everyone here who's able to do it again a, a, a chance. Um, the first thing is is um, when we would break out into groups, our boys, um, they, were, they knew so much about the word. It just spoke of how much Jorge, the, the pastor, put into them. And um, they, the things that they knew, they knew about um, uh, just everything about when sin begins to being chosen to, um, you know, Everything. I mean, they just—it was—it was amazing how much they knew about the word, uh, and it was a blessing to see that and hear that, and it was—it was so encouraging, and um, and it was great through my wonderful rocking translator, Maria. <laughs> um, number two, you don't realize how quickly you grow an attachment to these boys. In two particular, one was Rodrigo, and he had told me that he wanted to be a chef, and that his dream is to be a chef and, and how he wants to cook and how he, he just, and that just speaks of someone who wants to, to serve others and just that. And even though these boys, they've had horrible lives, horrible lives, and yet there's still that desire to serve others. And the other one was uh, Luis Alberto, which he's the one who they said, was beaten so badly by his father that he can't hear out of his ear, out of one of his ears. He, he wears a hearing aid, but that hearing aid is, is not there. doesn't really help. He has to read your lips, and even though he reads your lips, you don't know that. And it was, And yet this boy who's gone through such horrible experiences... Um, has such love in his heart and he was so happy he would come up to me and me, me, mira, mira, me you know and, and he would show me that he knows how to throw the ball and he showed me he knows how to do frisbee and he would and, and I was just and he would just grew we just grew so attached and we just he always wanted to show me that look I know how to do the thing that, that you know the past the coach taught me and it was just such, it was amazing to see that and just, it just really, it touched me. And, and um, you know, I, I can't say enough about that. It was just such an overwhelming experience and so life-changing. Thank you. So, um, all right, this is going to be hard following that story. Uh, a few years prior, you know, God had planted the seed uh, for missions on my heart. So when Pastor announced the trip, I knew immediately that I wanted to go and also that I wanted Daniel to go with me. Uh, I thought that it would be a good learning experience for him, that it would teach him to appreciate, you know, everything that the Lord has blessed us with, but I did not think that I would be the one to be taught a lesson. So, um, it's hard. so on the second day, a boy named Yudan ran up to me and handed me this small little trinket. It was a small little bicycle. And um, he said, here, here, this is for you. And I said, are you sure? You know, I didn't want to take his toy. And he said, yes, yes, it's for you. Smell it, smell it. It smells good. So I smelled it, and it smelled like vanilla. 
And I'm like, I don't know how he made it smell like vanilla, how he made it smell nice, but it did. It had this really small, a really nice fragrance to it. So all the boys were, you know, smiling up at me, urging me to take this trinket. And I did, and I thanked him. And uh, that was, for me, the highlight of my trip. Uh, it was the most moving gesture I could have ever received, knowing that the boys have no toys, they have one change of clothes, they have very little water, um, but yet he was giving me this, something that he treasured, that I know he has to treasure one of his very few personal items, and he was giving it to me. So um, I received it. You know, he was giving it to me in appreciation and with all this, this excitement. I was truly moved. Um, you know, the boys were genuinely happy and excited about basketball camp and learning about the Lord. And like Josh said, the boys in our group knew so much already. Um, we had one boy who had been there a year and a half. Uh, two of them had been there two years. One of them had been there three years. And one had been there four years. And um, they were they were very knowledgeable. Um, they knew they were sinners. They knew they had been chosen by the Lord. They knew that they had accepted that and accepted the Lord into their hearts. Um, they knew that, um, you know, they were going to heaven. They knew, they knew so much. Um, it was just amazing to see how content they were with so little. But yet they had the most important thing. They had the love of, and joy of Christ in their hearts. And it, it exuded from their faces, from their smiles, in spite of their circumstances. So God had used these boys to remind me to be content, teach me to appreciate and truly reflect the blessings that we have. And God has given us so much. And why are we um, any more or special than they are? We're not. But yet we have so much more. It was truly an example of Christ's efficiency in their lives. The boys were loving, respectful, and filled with the love of Christ, and they were truly a blessing to my life. Well, Robert Samsoy is coming up. Uh, one unique contribution of the Magana family, Maria, Josh, and Daniel, is, uh, and it was a very tiring work that we were doing because in the morning we do camp, have lunch, and then we do it in the afternoon. And so we're putting in a full day of work, um, very tired. But at nighttime, one of the hobbies that the Maganis led us on is we'd go and roam the streets and find the authentic taco stands. That was awesome. Real tacos made in Mexico. I'm Robert Samsoy. Uh, to go off to these guys, I don't know what else to say. But uh, the greatest highlight for me was... Um, uh, After I have a conversation with uh, George, he expressed to me that uh, he said uh, last week I almost quit. I said, what do you mean you almost quit? He said, yes, because so many things happened last week that I just was at the edge to just give up. But when he saw us ten showed up. It's just like a renewed strength came, he said, over him. And he just realized that God was in the midst of uh, us going there. He said, he know, that we were not an accident there. He said, we were sent by God. And um, after talking to him, he, you know, he expressed how uh, uh, Louis was pretty much the main guy who keeps him there every day because Louis, after what he went through with his dad abusing him, beating him, um, he um, he uh, always tried to prove that um, in spite of his circumstances that God is still um, cares about him. And he, he every day he, you know, a group with uh, Bob and I, and he's always, um, before we even say the passage, he's already quoting the scripture. And so we know that he was excited. But then one of the main things that he told me and Bob is that 
when I grow up, when he said, we're going to leave here. I'm, he's 17. He's about to, in May next year, he will be basically forced out or he has to leave. But there's a missionary family who wants to adopt him. And he wants to be a musician. He wants to be a missionary. He wants to be a pastor. He wants to be able to give back what they have done for him. And then I did a, about a three-minute video with all the boys while we were eating lunch. And all the boys, I asked them, uh, you got three seconds to give a testimony. And every one of them were able to say, uh, "Thank, uh, I thank God for allowing me to be here at Hope House because it's the best place to be. They'd rather be here rather than be on the streets. And then... Um, the other highlight for me was uh, Holly and Zet. They're, we have to say, missionaries because they raise fun at home where they're from, Ohio or someplace, and then they will go there and stay there for one entire year without no salary or nothing. So that was the greatest highlight for me. And I want to thank everyone who supported me. Uh, I'll get a letter out individually for all those who supported me going there. Thanks again. Thank you, Robert, my translator. Um, In case you didn't get that, so Robert was talking about Jorge. That's Pastor Jorge, the one who is there with his wife and his two kids, and he is with these boys 24/7. Only when he gets, except when he gets a reprieve. And he told that to Maria, to Bob, to Robert, that just before we got there, he was ready to quit, throw in the towel. I'm out of here. This is too hard. This is too frustrating. I'm not making a difference. And we got there, and it just it changed everything for him and gave him hope. And I believe he called us angels, whatever that is in Spanish. The, um, the time was there, as, as you've heard from others, it was so touching. Um, I, think, I think one of the things is, is that you're always worried about security. And we were asked here, I mean, we, we didn't know, we, we researched. And I remember Walt telling me in an email, no, it's very, very safe, and yeah, but this is an orphanage of teenage boys, you know. Are, is it safe for girls to go? And when we get there, the Dutro family, the, the ones that founded Hope House, have four preteen girls. <laughs> and, and if you've seen through some of the pictures, you've seen some little girls running around with their camp shirt on. It's their girls. They're, they are in with the boys all the time. And uh, I just think it's, a, it's, a, it's just a blessing of the Lord how... A husband and wife of four little girls have a heart to start a boys' orphanage, um, and just uh, that, that's just one of those little highlights that you start thinking about God's hand moving. Um, you've heard from Pastor Cliff how these boys are kicked to the street at 10 years of age, um, and it is it really is moving. Um, having two two boys myself. Uh, it's moving to think and look at those boys at 10, 11, 12 years old that we touched the hearts and with this week, how how they could survive, they wouldn't um, in the street. And just so seeing seeing that and being that with them real every day. And I think one of the things in a few of the pictures that I have up here is was the highlight of what Pastor Jorge said to us and what Kina and and um, um, had said to us as well is the other teams that come down don't do this. The other teams that are coming down have helped in some of the functional areas that Pastor Cliff laid out. And that's very, very important. But n- they don't. They don't spend time with the boys. And that was odd to them. They, I don't think they knew exactly what we were going to do either. Um, but it was a handshake. When we got there, uh, we said, yeah, we're, they had a sports complex set up for us to go to, and we went all down there, and uh, we needed a couple of their translators, but that was it. You know, Jorge, you know, he came the first day, but then after that, he went and did some other things he needed to do and, and be able to have some time off, and we could minister to the boys. And we were there. We were, some of these pictures is, the hearts of our team touched them. And one of the things that, quite frankly, I was concerned, not, not concerned, I just wondered how it was going to happen, was our youth. I mean, we had four youth and Brad, and if you know Brad, he's kind of a high schooler too. Um, so we had five youth, you know, going. And 
and, and all of them first time, and a language barrier, what's that going to be like? And are they going to be kind of standing off on the side, or are they going to be engaged? And we had our prep time and, and, and all the meetings and, prepa- and preparation, but you just kind of wonder. And they, I was so proud. I was very, very proud of every one of them, engaging, interacting with the boys, talking, working with them. It was just, it was, it was fantastic. And to see those boys then connect with our, our youth, uh, especially, was just, it, it was, it just, it was a real heart moment, that's for sure. All throughout the week, you just glance over and someone's talking with someone or trying to talk with someone. Um, sitting in someone's lap, hanging on to one of them. It was just, it was just fantastic. One of the things I wanted to highlight too, I, I don't know that we would have been as successful with just another interpreter. Maria and Robert being there, being part of our team was fantastic. Uh, Robert, I was with Robert in our small group all week long. It was, it was kind of funny because I'm supposed to be leading, but you know, I have the question to ask, and I had to ask, and then Robert would talk with these guys for like 20 minutes in Spanish, and I have no idea where he's going. And I, what, what, what did you say? And then he, and he's like five questions later. But no, it, it, he, it was, it was a blessing because they were, uh, we were with the older boys, and he could really talk with them, and you could tell there was a connection. I think I was kind of with them too but it was they had a great connection and um it it was it was a wonderful time um i think one of the highlights one of the missionary moment highlights you, know, you can take the teenager out of america but you can't take the teen uh, whatever um we are on one of our well, the very first night we're on one of the little walks into the plaza this little village that we're in and there's a carnival there <laughs> And they've got this big whirly, spinny thing that goes way up in the air, upside down, and and on blocks. And you know, it's like a car, like a street carnival isn't dangerous enough in the United States. We have to go get on the big swirly upside down thing in Mexico. And one of them, it was Daniel and Nathan. And, and and I'm just thinking, well, Daniel's parents are here, but I can't imagine explaining to Misty that her son got shot off on this thing. <laughs> So I, I didn't take a picture because I didn't want any photo evidence. Um, but it, it, we had a great time. We, we were able at the evenings. I think the evenings are one of those things I remember the most because we'd come back after a long day. Everyone's sweaty. We got three or four minutes to take a shower. We kind of sat around the, the, the dinner table. Uh, we went to Walmart, bought snacks, and, and we just talk about the day sometimes and, and uh, get ready, make basketball nets. That was a good time. That was a good time together. Bob, you forgot to say that uh, at that carnival, the, the rides that are there, the reason they're there and that they have them is because, and they, they have English words all over it, is because they're banned in the United States. So, yeah, you can't use them in America anymore because they're too dangerous. So they're on this one that just makes you want to throw up just watching, Daniel and Nathan. And then it's raining, and then the electrical cords that go to this machine, they're all exposed, all the wires and everything, and... Like there's nothing about this that's safe, but apparently it was fun. Um, if you have your Bible, I want to close with this. Romans 10, starting at verse 13, uh, about the gospel. That's why we went. Here's another great missionary passage. Romans 10, starting at verse 13. Uh, up to verse 15. Uh, when we broke up into small groups, it was kind of by age. So I had the youngest ones, which means those boys were probably in Hope House the least amount of time, which means they've had the least amount of biblical instruction from Pastor Jorge, which means probably whatever they believed uh, would leak out in that small group discussion and what they believed about the Bible. And Roman Catholicism dominates that culture. And so in my small group, uh, Roman Catholicism leaked out in the answers of my little boys as well as a couple of the other groups. Uh, that one thing that did surprise us is boys who had been there two-plus years in the house were very knowledgeable of biblical basics. We did not expect that. Uh, another thing that we didn't expect was, at least I didn't, after these very thorough uh, biblical lessons in small group time, the last session, lesson five, 
uh, we talked about creation, sin, the gospel, grace. And then the last day we asked each boy, um, and they said they understood everything. And then we asked, I asked every boy individually, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven or hell? And just about every boy in my group said they would go to hell if they died. I was like, wow, I just did a basketball camp a month ago to the same age boys here in America, and every one of those boys is going to heaven. Literally, that's what their answer was. I'm going, everybody's going to heaven in America. And that's what really jumped out at me. That, and, there were, and some of, in the other small groups were saying the same thing. Wow, these boys said they're going to either purgatory or hell. I mean, they, be, they believe Jesus. They believe the Bible. They believe God. They believe he's the creator. They believe Jesus died on the cross. But they believe when they die, they are going to hell. Why is that? And that is the remnants of Roman Catholic theology hanging over their heads still of all that oppressive guilt and the law. And it's an evidence of their mentality still believing that they can earn God's favor by their good works. Because when I asked them, wow, you said you believe all this stuff and that Jesus died on the cross for sinners and, it, and you understand that God. Why do you believe that when you die you're still going to hell? And they told me, because I do bad things. I do bad things, which tells me they don't understand the gospel yet. They don't understand grace. It has nothing to do with you, what you do and what you don't do. Um, so we just pray that Pastor Jorge continues to work with those boys so that they can understand their eyes will be illuminated and enlightened and understand what grace truly is in Christ. And another thing with my boys, um, who do we worship? Dios, which is God. And Maria. I got several answers like that. Maria. We worship Mary. We pray to Mary. Again, Roman Catholicism. So we talked to the boys about that. No, she was a sinner just like the rest of us. Oy vey, can you say that, Pastor? Wow, sacrilegious. Well, let me close with this. Thanks for uh, hearing our testimony. Thanks for your prayers. And we most of all thank God. Romans 10:13 says, For whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is good news. Verse 14. Well, how does that happen? Practically speaking, what is God's plan here on earth to use human beings to get the message out? How then will they call on Jesus in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in Jesus whom they have not heard? They've got to hear the truth about Christ before they can believe and be saved and call upon him. It was interesting to see what they did know and did not know. One thing they didn't know, 26 of them, not one of the boys could get the answer correct on one of my last lessons when I asked, who was it that punished Jesus the most when he hung on the cross for six hours? They said, everybody and your uncle. Pilate, Judas, the apostles, sinners, us, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. And they never said the most important. God the Father punished Jesus when he was on the cross. When I said that, again, their eyes lit up like saucers. Oy vey, can you see that? Whoa, seriously, pastor. And, uh, that, was new, that was news to them. They'd never heard that. So I, I, I hope that that is life-changing for them, that truth, that God the Father punished His own Son, Jesus Christ, when He was hanging on the cross. How will they believe in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher, without a missionary? Verse 15, how will they preach unless they are sent? That's an overseas missionary. Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things about the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we are going to continue to pray about future ministry and ongoing relationship with Hope House, and we'll keep you informed and cover your prayers as well. And who knows, Lord willing, we'll have an opportunity uh, in the future to work with them again, and maybe some other folks from GBF can be a part of it. So we give God all the praise and the glory and keep the boys from Hope House and the ministry staff and Pastor Jorge in your prayers. Let's go ahead and uh, pray the Lord and thank him. For his goodness. Father, we do thank you for our time together. We thank you for how you condescend in your own plan to work with uh, broken, fallen human beings who are finite and sinful to accomplish your amazing work by advancing the gospel in the world. Thank you for using us. We pray you'd bless your own word, seeds that were planted and watered, and we do pray for ongoing fruit. 
lives that would be changed for eternity, all for your glory. We thank you for it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages, or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.